0: you would turn with me to the second chapter of the book of Acts this morning. Those that have been with us on Wednesday evenings know we've been working through the book of Acts and a number of weeks. And with our completion of the book of Colossians, uh, we're moving our study of the book of Acts to the 10 o'clock hour on Sunday mornings. Especially with thinking about this teaching hour of which we put a great emphasis on the church. We put a great emphasis on the teaching of the church, and that's what we'll be looking at this morning and, of course, the weeks to come. Uh, for those that are curious, on Wednesday evening, we're going to be returning back to the book of Proverbs, which we left off on Wednesday nights about nine months ago. So we're returning back to Proverbs on Wednesday evening. And this morning, our subject today is the Lord added to the church. The Lord added to the church. I want to draw your attention to Acts 2, verse 41. The Bible says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common, sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. That final verse, verse 47, our subject, the Lord added to the church. Added to the church daily, such as should be saved. Can you imagine what sight that must have been? To see the Lord adding to his church daily people as they were being saved. There are many today who believe that that is no longer possible. That it is impossible to expect, to think, to even consider that the Lord could add to his church daily. I would submit to you that somewhere in the world today, somewhere, the Lord added to his church. Somewhere the Lord added to a church somewhere. We may not see it every day, although that is the prayer, is that we see the Lord add to the church every day. But to believe and to take the opinion today that the Lord is not adding to his church any longer would be a sad conclusion to reach. To say that those are just the old days of the first century church. Those are just the days when God was working. And of course, we're, we've never going to see anything like we saw when 3,000 souls were added unto the church at the day of Pentecost. I would submit to you today, and I hope we would think about this, that if we today, this time of gathering, corporate worship, if we were to see one soul, Added to the church, it would be a source of rejoicing. To see one, you see, we are people of extremes. We always seem to lean towards if we don't see something out of this world miraculous, that somehow, some way, the church has lost its power or the church has lost its ability and it's trying to reinvent itself in order to get the numbers up. Listen, we ought to rejoice when a single soul is added because we know that soul was not added by anything that we did. They were added by the Lord. And the Lord saw fit to add 3,000 at this church. And if he sees fit to add one to this church, then we would rejoice just as much as seeing 3,000. Remember, as our studies on Wednesday have taught us the souls that were saved were people whose hands were still dripping with the blood of Christ. They were the ones who had no doubt stood in the courtyards, had stood in the streets and yelled, crucify him. And yet they were the ones where Peter had stood up and with all the boldness of the Holy Spirit had spoke up and preached this Christ. And we looked Wednesday evening how that or even the Wednesday evening that they had crucified both Lord and Christ. And now we see the results of souls being saved. They were made willing to believe. Who made them willing to believe? The Lord himself made them willing to believe. Don't ever get over the reality that you were made willing to believe. If you're in Christ today, there was a day when God made you willing to believe. You were unwilling, and then he made you willing. When it says the Lord added, it's the Lord made you willing to be added to a church. It is really a strange thing. Have you ever thought about this? It's a strange thing that you gather in a place. You sing hymns out of a book. You read words off of a page. It's a strange thing to the world. They can't understand why you're doing what you're doing today. Prayerfully, you consider this normal. You don't think anything of it because this is what you do. You you are added to the Lord. And whether this is your home church or you're visiting with us, if you're a part of the church of God, you are indeed blessed. And yet, here you have these individuals who just moments earlier were still had hands dripping with the blood of Christ being made willing to believe in the day of his power, to trust to him, to surrender to him. It was the grace of God that made them willing, and it's by the grace of God that they were added to the church. This is no ordinary organization. This is not something common. As a matter of fact, there is nothing more uncommon in this world than the gathering of God's people, whether it's in this church or a church thousands of miles away, if it's a church that is founded upon the Lord Jesus Christ, it is an uncommon, glorious sight. And it should not be taken for granted. You see, the building of the church is the work of God. It can't be built by human thoughts and human ingenuity that says, listen, this is what you have to do and this is what we have to make it. No, it's built by the power of God through the preaching of the gospel of Christ. It has always been the preaching of the gospel of Christ that the Lord adds to the church with. It's not about how relevant your church is to society. It's not about how how worship is. It's not about is it contemporary worship? Is it traditional worship? It is about the preaching of Christ. The emphasis was never about those other things. It was about the preaching of Christ. The souls were added by Peter preaching Christ. not about Peter inviting people to assemble and join under some building somewhere to just have a religious spiritual experience. No, it's the preaching of Christ. Every effort of man to build the church that is not based upon the preaching of the gospel is wood, hay, and stubble. It's worthless. And yet here we see the Lord adding to a church. And what you're seeing in these verses is the real real result of when the Lord adds to the church and the difference between when man adds and when God adds. There's an entirely different characteristic about this church because the Lord added to it. When the Lord adds to it, people are different. When the Lord adds to it, people are joyful. When the Lord adds to it, people are compassionate. When the Lord adds to it, people do enjoy fellowshipping with one another. See, in the last, these last verses of chapter 2, the author and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Luke, gives us an example of what every church should be. It's a blessed fellowship. It is a fellowship of believers. It is a fellowship of people that are being, who were created and sustained by the Spirit of God. If the Spirit of God is not there, it is not a church. If the Spirit of God does not indwell the members of that church, it is not a church. You are not saved today unless the Spirit of God indwells you. If you're here without the Spirit of God, you can call yourself part of the church. You can say, I have fellowship with the church, but the Holy Spirit of God is the eyewitness that you are, in fact, part of the church. I'm not talking about membership of this place. I'm talking about in the family of God. There are people who are seated here today that are on the membership role of this church. They are people who this is where they have set themselves. But then there are also people who are not members of this church who they certainly are part of the body of Christ. But do you see the beauty of what is occurring here in Acts chapter 2? We hear words today in our society, we hear words like community. We hear words like social. But what about the fellowship of the saints? What about the fellowship of brothers and sisters in Christ That is, in fact, the greatest community, the community of believers gathered together for the worship of God. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22, the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. If you're a part of this church, you've you've heard me quote this verse hundreds of times. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God. Don't miss the last three words, through the Spirit. Through the Spirit of God, you are builded together as a habitation of God. What Acts 2, 42 through 47 gives us here is just gives us a sketch, a brief look at the life and ministry of a, what we refer to as, sometimes people call it the early church or the primitive church. And there's really three very simple thoughts today. I wanted this to be as simple as we could possibly make it. Verses 42 and 43, we see very clearly, and I believe that order matters, it was a doctrinal church. It was founded upon the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. You'll see that those that were added in verse 41, it says they gladly received the word and they were added. And it talks about they continued. I love the word continue. In a day and age in which people just seem to quit, they seem to stop, these 3,000 souls, these people being added, continued steadfastly in what? The apostles' doctrine. The apostles' doctrine and fellowship, they continued steadfastly. All true churches of Christ are built upon the doctrines of the gospel of Christ. The apostles' doctrine or the apostles' teaching is the very proclamation of the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and clearly preaches the purpose and the meaning of why did God save anyone? Again, the the principles of even a reformed church like ours is not why didn't God save them? It is why does God save anyone? Why? Why would he choose anyone in this room in particular? Why would he choose you? It's not why did he not choose them? or so-and-so, why did he choose you? The apostles' doctrine, this teaching, was the very authority of that church. It saddens me to say this, and I'm not, I'm not doing this with any per one church in mind, but there are churches you can go to week after week after week and never hear the gospel, not a single time. You'll hear everything but the gospel. Yet the authority of the apostles' doctrine, and notice it doesn't just say their doctrine, and their fellowship or the basis of their fellowship was based upon the doctrine of Jesus Christ. This was the authority. The apostles' doctrine was authoritative in the early church, and later, as we read today, we are reading about that same doctrine. Fellowship, and notice It gives gives some illustrations of what this might have looked like. And in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Really, there's three beautiful expressions there. Fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayer. Those early believers, let's try to comprehend this today, they actually found delight in fellowshipping with one another. They were delighted to be together. They didn't consider it a chore or a task to have to gather with their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. They delighted in it. They delighted in the reality that not only are we founded in this great doctrine of the apostles, this doctrine is also what guides our fellowship. It guides our breaking of bread. It guides our prayers. Notice it started with doctrine. The church that does not start on the sound doctrine is not a church at all. And yet it was the apostles doctrine that guided all of these things. The breaking of bread would consist of fellowship meals. It would consist of often a fellowship meal that was often done in correlation with the observance of the Lord's Supper together. And of course, in prayers has a specific meaning. They were gathered together for the purpose of praying. Yes, this first church, this first century church had prayer meetings, fellowship meals, observed the Lord's Supper together. They delighted in the fellowship with one another. They were continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They were proclaiming Christ. It was a doctrinal church. Verse 43, And fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Fear came upon every soul. The character of the early church came with it a sense of awe and fear. It was being reinforced in their days by the performing of miracles. Imagine this, you've got this organization who is proclaiming these truths And you have these truths being affirmed and confirmed by these miraculous signs and these many miracles. Again, I started off by telling you that often today we're only looking for these fantastic miracles and we're looking for these these wonderful healings and we're saying, look, you know, these these things ought to be happening today in the same manner. Uh, It is a miracle. It is a miracle of God when one soul comes to know Christ as their Savior. Do you realize one soul being added to the church is greater than healing a person who can't walk? It's a greater miracle to see someone come to know Christ than to see blind eyes physically being able to see. And yet we have a whole line of churches who believe that the most important thing is to claim that I still have the ability the apostles had to cast out demons and to give miracles and do all kinds of signs and wonders. No, the greatest miracle is, is the Lord added you. To the church. And when the Lord adds you to the church, these are the things that follow. These many miracles, of course, were given to the apostles for a specific reason. No doubt they were able to perform miracles. Our Lord told them, if you want to turn there in Mark 16 specifically, and the context is he's talking to the disciples here. And again, context always matters. But Mark 16, verse 14. Again, he notice it says he appeared to the eleven. He appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them because their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe." In my name shall they cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them, they shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then, after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven, and sat on the right hand of God, and they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, and confirming the word with signs following, amen." The Word was still being confirmed because there was not a completed copy of the Scriptures. Every one of us today in this country has access to a completed copy of the Word of God. If you don't have access to the Word of God, I will give you one. That's how accessible God's Word and all of His confirmations are. Everything I need to know for faith and for eternity, for this life and the life to come is contained in the scriptures. I don't need someone claiming they can perform a miracle to confirm anything because God's already confirmed it in his word. So I'm not impressed if you say you can heal someone. I'm not impressed that you say you can speak in some unknown, silly tongue. The speaking in tongues was speaking a different language, an actual language. It's not necessary for today. We have the confirmation of the word. The church had these confirming signs to know that what they were in fact hearing was the authority. Every time the word of God is opened, every time the word of God is read, whether we read it as part of a sermon or whether we read it as part of our scripture reading, it is authority. We might sit here today and we might say, why do you read Jeremiah 25? What does Jeremiah 25 have to do with life today? It's authority. It has everything to do with life today. All of God's word is authoritative. All of it is our doctrine. It is what we are based upon. It is the very fact of that authority that brought fear upon every soul. Now this fear that came upon every soul the people were being influenced by what these what was happening Not only was society as a church being influenced but even people who were spectators on the outside were in fear about what was being done by these apostles Many wonders and signs it confirmed the doctrine it confirmed that it was from God. Some of the things being done in God's name are quite frankly, they're atrocious. And they're not from God. And that's why man doesn't fear God. We've lost the fear of God. We've lost the fear of God in our churches. We've certainly lost the fear of God in society, but it's not because God is not yet still to be feared. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And yet, it was this doctrine. It was this fellowship, this picture of breaking of bread and prayers together. It was a doctrinal church. Again, I'm keeping this very simple today. 44 through 45, it was a devoted church. And I don't know if we fully understand the beauty of what's being said here. And all that believed were together and had all things common. Believers, whether they are men, women, boys, girls, are united in Christ. To be in Christ truly means to have all things common. That means everything that God has given to us, everything that we are, is to be used for the glory of God. Whatever God has given you is to be used for the glory of God. You hear us pray about being in one accord. It's not just a prayer to fill up time. Believers should be in one accord. This isn't isn't a pipe dream, brethren. This This is what should be the case. If you have believers together, they should be in accord. They should have all things in common. They should desire that everything we're doing is doing for the, we're doing for the glory of God. To be, built, to be in one accord is to be built up in love. It is to have a singleness of heart. Imagine a church that had a singleness of heart to glorify God with everything that they are. They kept together. There were congregations that came out of these 3,000. I don't believe they all ended up at the same congregation. They went based upon congregations and languages and nations, but they associated together. And those that were associating together had a love for one another. We've been talking about this at 1130 for weeks now about loving the brethren and how love of the brethren is proof that you have eternal life. They had all things in common. Now, again, this can refer to a lot of different things. No doubt we saw they had fellowship together. They had meals together. But this all things in common may have even gone as far as to saying that if there was a concern for one another, they were all ready to help meet that need or to deal with that concern. In other words, if one of their brethren was in trouble or had a need, guess who it was? Who is was coming to their aid, their church. Their church was coming to their aid. Again, brother, you, you cannot program this. I can't put that on an order of service and say, okay, if A happens, then B is your response. But more importantly, pastors and elders... Congregation should not have to do it that way. There should be such having such things in common that it's a natural response. We have a brother or sister who's in need and there is a meeting of that need before anybody can even say anything. Whether that's a prayer need, whether that's whatever the need might be. This is not just some place we gather together to kill time on the Lord's Day. These, this church was so bound together that when concerns were ar- ar- arose in that church, somebody was dealing with it. They had a readiness to help. They had all things in common. They had all things ready to seek the glory of God. Now, again, a lot of times, especially verse 45, this is where it gets real personal. And a lot of people say, I love the sound of this church until you said that. I was right there, preacher. I was a, I would amen if that was to what I did. But then he says something about and they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. When you get into a man or a woman's pocketbook, suddenly things get a little bit tighter. Now, To let you know, that's not really the full intent of this, is that simply everybody just sells everything and you have one big community pot. That's not the totality of what he's talking about here. They were so devoted to one another that if that's what was needed to help take care of the concerns, this was not a command. It's not written in our, our church documents that thou must sell all your possessions and put it into a community pot. What it simply is saying is there was such a devotedness and a readiness that if that's what it took to help meet the need of that church, they were ready to do that. Again, it is the necessities, the necessities of maybe members of that church or churches who were not as fortunate. Christian love, love for the brethren, is often manifested in these ministries of support. Support for one another. Again, the emphasis is not on how much is this going to cost me. The emphasis is on the attitude of our heart and the devotedness to one another. Brethren, one of our great issues is that we have lost the seriousness and the responsibility and the duties and the obligation of being a member of a church. This is not something to be taken lightly. This is not something that you just give it a shot and if it doesn't work out, I'll move on. No, this, is, this was their life. It wasn't just this aspect that I do on a Sunday or a Wednesday. It was their life. And yet, today, do we have this? And again, this is not meant to be an indictment on us, per se. If it it convicts us, then so be it. But I will say that this was the structure of this. This is the characteristics of what we saw and what they saw in that church. It says "As every man had need. You read some of the accounts and you read some historical books and you see some hints of it throughout Scripture. You see that there were times when these churches would sell part of their land. They would sell some of their possessions. They would distribute to one another. They had an unselfishness about them. But please make it known this was not a divine command where God said, you must sell all of your possessions. This was an attitude of their heart it was a commendable characteristic. It was an assurance that their hope was in something more than what this world offers you. That's why the passages that deal with our pocketbooks, our wallets, and our money are always make us because we are putting so much hope in it. And yet they were ready to part with it to meet the need of someone within their churches. It was compassion not only for the poor of the world, but compassion for one another. They were devoted to one another. Verse 46, there's more we could say there, but we're gonna move on. Verse 46 and 47, just keeping this simple theme today, it was a diligent church. It was diligent. And they, there's that word again, continuing daily. With one accord, in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. When the church is what it ought to be, we see first of all the people gladly receive the word; they obey the ordinances; they obey what, God, what Scripture says; they assemble together in one accord to worship to worship God. They. Seems like such a a general word. But the they is a reference to these individuals, these believers who were in one accord continued daily. They believers had daily worship of God in the temple. Now remember many of these believers were also Jewish people who were still observing those Jewish practices of worship. But this practice of fellowship would manifest itself in these fellowship meals This joyfulness, this generosity of heart. This church, again, that does not mean that this church did not have flaws. It doesn't mean that this church did not have things that could have been an issue. But you certainly see they were very diligent about the gathering together. Again, I'm just putting this out there because it's what's been on my heart this week. I was thinking yesterday about the reality of our church... And in any given week, and again, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just speaking this freely today, how little time we as a church spend together. 24-hour days, seven days a week. Think about what we actually do right now and how little time as a church we spend together. And I ask myself the question, are we actually living life together? I'm brought to the conclusion that we're really not. We're making each other's acquaintances as we pass as the church services, and again, important. But are we daily living life together? Are we even interacting with other members or other attenders, whatever the case is, of our church? There are passages like this will make you think about these things. <laughs> it just, you just immediately, whether you think you, this is applied to you, you, you can't read this and not think about your own church and say, okay, it, is, this, is this what we are? Is this what we look like? Do I have this attitude? Do I have these thoughts? And again, if you, this isn't your church home, we're glad that you're here, but think about it from your own church perspective, right? Is, is that what church is? Is that what that gathering, that fellowship of believers looks like? You see that the Lord, again, we saw the Lord was adding daily to this church. They were These churches, they were in this one accord, daily in the temple, not just on the Lord's day, not just on the Sabbath days, not just on the feast. They were worshiping God daily. I've had a lot of people ask me what that looks like. I don't fully know exactly what that looked like. I have some thoughts about it. But I certainly do not doubt that in some way, shape, or form, there was a daily worship. Breaking bread from house to house. This is as simple as it sounds. They were gathering together at each other's tables. Seems like something so simple, right? They had this this joyousness about them. They had this heart about them that they delighted in each other's company. You have this picture of not only people that are hospitable, but people that are also willing, who are charitable, who are willing to give to those that are in need. They were very open-handed with everything God had given them. Why? Because they were doing all things for the glory of God. They did it with gladness, singleness of heart. And then verse 47, they were praising God and having favor with all the people. Now we know the story and the narrative about the Jews. Not all the Jews received the witness of the Messiah. They didn't all trust and believe in this resurrected Christ but, you know, even some of the historical accounts who, who, who have eyewitness records of the church in that day, even historical books write about that these believers had something about them that just stood out. That even unbelievers saw something about God's favor upon them. Having favor with all the people, these This church was so abounding in thanksgiving. They were continually praising God, not just on the Lord's days, but praising God in their life. Having favor. People often say today, you know, the church has never been more hated. Well, I will tell you this. If you go back and you look into the history of the first century church, I will beg to differ with you. The church was hated then. The church was despised. The church was persecuted. The church was going through extreme times where death was even coming. Rulers were commanding that believers be executed. And yet they had joy. They had singleness of heart. They had this fellowship with one another, praising God continually. And you notice that that's the environment. Don't miss sight of the order here. That's the environment that it says that the Lord added to the church daily. You notice it didn't start with that. It ended with that. That this, these are what the fellowships looked like. These are what the churches looked like. The church was being added to by the Lord to churches that had these characteristics in them. Now, again, does that, is that saying if we do these things, God's going to add to the church? Absolutely not. That's not what that means at all. But the result was, and the reality is here, that those fellowship, the people that were converted, the people who were being added, this is the type of Christian community that they were being received into. Imagine a person, not even imagine, praying that somebody walks into the front doors of this church today, doesn't know anything about what Reformed Baptist means, they have no idea. They walk in, but it pleases the Lord to open their eyes and to make them willing to believe and add them to our church. What would they find? What would they find? Would they find a church that is demonstrating those characteristics? Again, this was not a perfect church. There's a lot of times you hear people say things like that. What we really need is a return to the first century church. The first century church was not perfect. We don't need a return to a type of church. We need a return to Christ. We need a return to the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of Christ being the means in which God is adding to the church. Not all the gimmicks and not all the shows and not all the entertainment. The preaching of Christ. You don't have to put a worship band in front of me to attract me. Christ is enough. If all we did, if we showed up and all we did was preach Christ, it ought to be enough. Because it's through the preaching of the gospel of Christ, not only that souls are brought to salvation, but it is the very grace that sustains even the believers is the reminder that we preach Christ. In these verses, we have just a brief picture of what this church looked like. We could go down the line and we could say, here's all the characteristics. Now let's try to model ourselves after them. Brethren, that's not the way this works. I have been down that road of here's what we ought to do and going down the line of just checking a box. It doesn't work. This is the reality of what the indwelling Holy Spirit does in the midst of believing people. You can't program it. You can't make it happen. You can't force it. This is the result. This is the fruit. This is the evidence of what happens when you have gathered believers together. The Holy Spirit is what gives us that love for the brethren. It's the Holy Spirit that makes us willing to part with even our most precious possessions because we have all things in common. To do away with selfishness. It's God who moved them to act this way. Now, again, that doesn't mean you just sit down and say, OK, God, move me. You do what you can do. You do what God's enabled you to do. Every day, the Lord was inclining hearts to continue to embrace the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ, not just people who professed to be believers, but people who actually were living it. They were living examples that they had been brought into the family of God. Why does God choose any of us? According to his purposes before the foundation of the world, he chose you. If he chose you, that's the biblical answer. It's not because you were more valuable. It's not because you had more potential. It humbles us, doesn't it? It brings us to a place where if I cannot find a single reason to take credit for my salvation, I'm humbled to the dust because I can't find a single reason why he chose me. I could dwell on it and say, why aren't those people chosen? Or I could get on my face before God and say, you know what? I had to be worshiping God every day that for some unknown reason he chose me. And it was nothing because I deserved it. Every day we're being reminded of our salvation in Christ. I am encouraged today to know that somewhere in the world, someone's eyes were open today. In the time we've been standing here preaching the gospel, somebody somewhere was made willing to believe. They were added to a church somewhere by the power of God. That's the same God. The same God that added to that church somewhere on the other side of the world is the same God who has added to this church over the years. You don't get over a single soul being saved, especially when you see it in your own local body of believers. You don't get over it. Because you say, what a mighty God, what a great God that he saved. That's why we pray so diligently for our little ones, right? We're praying that God in the appointed hour would open their eyes, that they would see these truths. Can you imagine what a day of rejoicing is going to be? When we look back and we say, look at all the eyes of these little children that God opened their eyes. God added them to the church, not because of mom and dad, but because God opened their eyes. What a glorious truth. It was the Lord who added to the church. Amen.